pursuing the biggest questions of all, next on the program. Welcome to the show. I'm Farrell Timpson. Are brain and mind the same thing? Is the universe fine-tuned for consciousness? What is consciousness? These are some of the questions that Robert Lawrence Kuhn has been asking leading scientists and philosophers for years on the PBS and YouTube series, Closer to Truth. This month, Closer to Truth premieres a new season devoted to the philosophy of biology with questions about evolutionary theory, reductionism and emergence, and these are being asked of the leading biologists and philosophers and anthropologists alive today. I'm so pleased to have Robert joining me today to talk about Closer to Truth and this new series. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Theral. I look forward to uh, our conversation, uh, multifaceted and uh, great audience. Uh, um, very much excited about it. Well, you are the you are the great interviewer, so we're switching tables for you here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> are you nervous? <laughs> you know, I'm, al- I'm always nervous. I'm always think I'm underprepared, no matter who I've interviewed, and we've done uh, over 25 years, uh, north of 500. Uh, but everyone is a, is a new challenge, like it's the first, and and uh, I, I really try to prepare a lot by deeply understanding what everyone wants to do and try to get the best thinking out of everyone. Well, uh, you do. <laughs> I've been reading some of these philosophers, you know, uh, for years. And so then, uh, you know, I discovered your series during the pandemic. And um, to see them is a whole different experience. You know, there's something about that in-person thing. Like when you ask a question, do they fidget? Do they slightly shift? I mean, there's so much you pick up um, that you don't from the reading. You know, I didn't realize that when we when we started Closer to Truth, but you're absolutely right that the communication, obviously, in a technical and professional sense in writing is so many orders of magnitude more precise than what yes. people talk about. Um, and there were a few philosophers and scientists who, th- who thought they couldn't communicate as well on in an interview as they could in paper. Um, but they recognized that once we did it, that their capacity to communicate in terms of a human interaction was was order of magnitudes higher than the papers they have, even even to their professional group, because exactly what you said, you really got to identify with the individual, um, and so that's something that we've uh, we've recognized. We didn't realize it originally, but it, it is uh, is really an important part of what we do. Absolutely. You know, I felt this. Um, the first interview, philosophy interviews I really watched on television were Brian McGee's. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, but they were done in the 70s and 80s, right? They've yeah. become a, a cult classic. Right, sure. Um, and and he's interviewing sure. people you've read before. And then some new dimension comes out. Um, so briefly, um, how did you get into this? How What's the history behind Closer to Truth? My doctorate was in uh, neuroscience, uh, cerebral, cort- cerebral cortex electrophysiology. Um, and then I, as I said, I went bad and went into investment banking and all sorts of other things. But I, I always had the passion uh, to understand science. That's why I, I did a PhD in brain science, uh, to really understand the nature of what we have to uh, apprehend the world as a way to try to understand the world. That was the initial motivation. Naive, to be sure, um, but that was the original, uh, my original idea. So uh, during my uh, professional career, which um, in, uh, 
uh, uh, evolved or you have de- another career a separate career. <laughs> in uh in uh in various areas of business finance and doing uh, uh kind of china related stuff uh, i always had the desire and always kept up with all the sciences um and then um about a little a little over 25 years ago i decided i originally said i would do something like close to the truth when i retired um, okay about, about 25 or 27 years ago i realized i'm never going to retire so unless i start doing it now i'm never going to do it um, okay okay but that indicates that it really is kind of a personal thing for you and a labor of love this oh sure which comes out in the interviews you know yeah i mean this is something that is uh is uh, in a sense i do it for myself and i hope other people may be interested i mean that's <laughs> the way it's that's the way it started uh dealing with the questions i've always wanted to to explore and to really understand uh we have the tagline uh the greatest thinkers the deepest questions um and that that really reflects uh what we what we do uh the categories as you know are have been three categories over the years uh what we call cosmos which is philosophy of cosmology and physics uh the multiverse quantum physics mathematics nature of time information fine-tuning as you've said philosophy of science science and religion lots of metaphysics causation why something rather than nothing and, and how critical thinking uh, second category is consciousness, uh, philosophy of mind, brain-mind problems, and various aspects of consciousness and mental activities, personal identity, free will, subconscious, you know, dealing with questions, life after death, alien and diverse intelligences, uh, even touching on parapsychology, but always with a critical thinking uh, uh, mentality. And the third category has been what we call meaning or really philosophy of religion, uh, not a sectarian, not a sociology of religion, but the deep ontology, uh, some epistemology, but basically the ontology of um, what the nature of ultimate reality is, God, no God, various traits of God, do they contradict each other, alternative concepts of God, um, nature of atheism, agnosticism, but always uh, overlaid with, uh, with critical thinking. And as you mentioned, we're just adding a fourth category, a fourth what we call pillar, which is life. The first expression okay. is is philosophy of biology. So, so is this your to... first uh, series on philosophy of biology? Absolutely, it's the first series. Uh, we huh. have we have been working on it for a number of years. I was delayed by the pandemic, but we have shot in the can. Uh, over 250 uh, interviews uh, of uh, uh, probably around 30 individuals, um, and the total number of videos that we have are 255. We'll be producing at least 13 television shows in the first five premiere, um, literally, to, on, on December 8th, which is we're talking, that's tomorrow. Uh, so... Uh, we're very excited about it. It will it will be on PBS stations in the U.S. Uh, and then sometime later, after a, a rerun on PBS, sometime probably early 2024, it'll it'll go up on YouTube on the Closer to Truth website. So I'm cu- I want to get into this series uh, a little bit. What new areas has philosophy of biology taken you into? Well, first of all, um, I have uh, uh, avoided, which is a, an interesting question, the questions that were directly in my area of expertise, which was biology and neuroscience oh, okay. and, <laughs> and biology, because I, I, I didn't 
feel that it it was as uh, deeply reflective of ultimate reality, which the other categories are. Now, the the the, the brain mind category, which is a sub, subset of biology, I, I had sort of uh, isolated out to really focus on because that I thought was critical. You've always uh, done that. Yeah. And, and that's been a that's been a core uh, a core aspect of closer to truth from the very beginning. And again, that reflects my own personal uh, feelings. But in recent years, I've begun to uh, to to appreciate that questions about life and how it interacts with the the, the others are uh, are more fundamental than I had originally thought about. And this philosophy of biology series was a, a, a totally new experience for me. Uh, to really dig into something that I had real, I had followed very carefully the brain mind area, yeah. but many of the other areas weren't. So it's uh, it's been a terrific uh, a terrific experience, and we've been really uh, super fortunate to to have some of the the leading um, people in the field who have uh, contributed to to the series. Uh, I, I I hate to list people because I, I'll obviously leave. Somebody. You'll leave somebody wow. out. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but no, but you've had Richard Dawkins. R- um, Richard, I think Richard. he's on the first program, which is why philosophy of biology. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, you've had Terrence Deacon. I saw on your list who, you know, yeah. he's at Berkeley and uh, I just, yeah. you know, I love his, his writing. Yeah. I've met him in person and Absolutely. he, I think he calls himself an anthropologist. Yeah, a, a neuroanthropologist. A neuroanthropologist. <laughs> That's fun. Okay, he's, he's he's become a good friend and 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 really an original thinker. So he's he he has been a key. But you know, really many others. Um, uh, 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 Peter Gottfried Smith, Paul Griffiths, uh, uh, Philip Kitcher, uh, Michael Roos, uh, Lisa Lloyd, Alan Love, Dennis Noble. If you know him from England, I I do. Yeah, yeah. He he uh, writes these yeah. very interesting books. Right, right. In fact, so I, I would love to get him on my program um we've elliot sober i mean uh, quasho and spencer i mean we really have a a, a terrific and then people who are not normally associated with biology or philosophy who we believe bring some unique thinking like jeffrey west who used to be head of the santa fe institute he has uh, this whole concept of scaling um he's a he's a theoretic he's a uh, theoretical physicist originally but has approach biology. So there are different approaches. You know, when we talk about philosophy of biology, uh, let let me do two things. Uh, Let let me just give you quickly what the general thinking uh, of the field has been uh, in two ways, and then how we have uh, uh, modified that a little bit. Uh, So in general, there are two approaches to philosophy of biology that has uh, come through. One is a more uh, biological orientation. Uh, to look at the field. And that asks, uh, what is the deep nature or essence of life? Category one. Category two, how did life on earth come to be it as it is? How did we humans come to be as we are? Or in other words, how does evolution work? And the third category is to consider some biologically based issues, uh, such as race, sex and gender, cognition, culture, morality, even healthcare, religion, alien life, death, and, uh, and more. So that could be more the socially constructed stuff. Yeah, and the, and those are the three categories from a biological point of view. Okay. From a philosophical point of view, uh, the philosophy of biology is looked at a little differently. From a philosophical point, of, again, to be simple, three kind of categories. One is philosophers would ask, what what kind of general questions in the philosophy of science can be addressed in the context of biology? So one example is uh, radical empiricism. 
versus looking for fundamental law uh and how do you how do you adjudicate that tension um in the philosophy of science using a new set of data points in biology so that's one it has uh, second, been more empiricist driven i think than maybe it, physics yes and and uh but the, but from a philosopher's point of view what does that tell us about general questions in the philosophy of science so it's a different kind of way of thinking the second okay. philosophy philosophical approach that says, what are conceptual puzzles within biology that are subject to philosophical analysis? Now, this is this is uh, could be a controversial one. Uh, I love um, Richard Feynman's famous remark that scientists, what is it, scientists need philosophers the way birds need ornithologists. Uh, so, and, and this uh, counters that and that says, no, uh, 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 biologists really do need philosophers to clarify some critical issues such as, um, the levels of selection and evolution, which is, a has been, uh, over decades, a very hot emotional topic. Um, the nature of the gene itself, uh, careful definitions. So that's the, th and then the third, uh, would be, uh, from, a, again, from a f philosophical point of view is appeals to biology are made to address, uh, traditional philosophical questions, such as, you know, what is, what is the mind? What is, uh, um, what is the nature of, uh, of life itself, but from a philosophical point of view. So those are the different orientation. Now, what we've done. That's interesting. Is, that's so, yeah, interesting because yeah. you're basically it's asking how does philosophy of biology um, expand philosophy in general? Exactly, and and so there again two frames of looking at philosophy of biology: one from a biological point of view, one from a philosophical point of view. But if you take them together, you begin to get a feel. Now, what we've done is we've we've tried to express all of that, but then added and and we as you've said, we've dealt with questions about uh, what are the units of selection, uh, what is extended evolutionary synthesis, reductionism versus emergence, reductionism versus emergence is, is a is a very a classic um, exemplification of some of those issues because that's a that's a question in physics it's a question in 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 the sciences in general so it asks that from this tension between reductionism and emergence what can we learn from biology that might enrich our understanding of, of that relationship Let, so let's dive into this one this is a big one reductionism yeah. You know, it's it's one of my favorite questions to ask when I have on a, you know, a, a well-established biologist who's had a big career, because this question tells you so much about a person. So yeah. so what did you hear on this topic? Uh, I, I, once again, it is it is one of the most probative questions that we can ask. So in one sense, we're all reductionists because we all believe that we can explain larger things in, in terms of the, their components. The fundamental question is, uh, is there something that re reductionism cannot explain? Now, that has been called emergence and emergence comes in two flavors. One is weak emergence and the other strong emergence. That sounds simple enough. So what are they? Weak emergence says that uh, there are um, uh, properties that occur in at, at higher levels that cannot be obviously seen at lower levels. A simple example is, uh, well, there are two, two ways. A simple example is water in both cases. You could 
you could, uh, if you and I sat down for, for a century, we could never come up with the fact that if we knew the properties of the gases of hydrogen and oxygen, that we could figure out that you somehow put them together and there's a water and, and we have water. Uh, that's one approach. Another approach says, even if we knew we had a molecule of water, um, and you have, and then we could say we have a lot of them. We wouldn't come to the uh, the, the the generality that it it, it would be wet. It, it, wet is a property of a higher level. Now this is under e uh, a weak emergence because in fact once you understand the the molecular structure of water and once you understand the bonding uh, uh, um, uh, angles and 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 could could simulate that very sophisticated you could actually come to figure it out of why water is wet or why the those the properties of hydrogen and oxygen in that combination with that bonding structure can yield a water molecule so that's weak emergence where you have different properties at 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 this level but in principle and sometimes and in fact you could discern it strong emergence uh, and, and everybody agrees that weak emergence is a real property i mean it's it's a, it's almost a tautology as we've described it strong emergence is controversial because many will people will say it does not exist and that's the tension between re the real tension between emergence and reductionism because the weak emergence is just a um uh, another level of reductionism I, I i'm not sure other people would say it that way but i think that's the case that reductionism embeds a classic reductionist like alex rosenberg or, you know a good friend uh would would embed within a reductionism weak emergence as a subset and i think that's valid wait i i would i just want to say for the audience reductionism in biology means uh that when people believe this they believe that biology can be reduced to chemistry and therefore physics that's the basic sure. definition yeah, right sure and and and, and without remainder mm -hmm. in other words there's nothing once you figure it out in principle there's no there's no remainder and it's exactly right and the, the, the example i used with water would then apply to biology It'd be much more complicated of course but it would have it would be the same principle strong emergence says that um that there is something that in principle you will never be able to discern uh, uh, uh that property at that level now the classic example of course is is, uh, is consciousness uh, some people would say, I think Dave Chalmers, uh, a, a philosopher of mind, uh, one, a leading philosopher of mind, would say that uh, a consciousness may be the only example of strong emergence. Uh, other people would okay, say... Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Because um, uh -huh. you've been pursuing this with mind and consciousness uh, on the program right, for right, years. So and I'm just curious if there are other levels that you got into now. Um for instance, just, you know, single, just the beginning of life. Was there emergence there or, you know, um, other parts of uh, the human body or other species? Have you talked about emergence there? Yeah. And, and, and this, uh, the, um, the origin of life, what is life and how did it come about is an open, it, it's in my mind, it's an open question uh, of whether uh, it is. They're still uh, debating on the definition. 
Uh, oh, oh, yeah, and in fact, people are expanding the definition, especially as we look to uh, astrobiology and exobiology, that are our definitions of life too too narrow. And we deal with that. One of our one of our shows will be on uh, uh, looking for extraterrestrial life and definitions of life, and are we too limited in our definitions? Uh, and so th- that's where philosophy of biology is very useful in being able to define life and be able to dis- discern differences in, in order to uh, understand the nature of it. Um, but it-, it is an open question whether strong emergence exists at all. Uh, and if it exists, is it only consciousness, as some would say, or are there other categories, origin of life, and there may be some others? And that means that in principle, no matter how much you know about the lower levels, you would never, in even in principle, in a trillion years of science, be able to um, be able to predict or be able to explain the properties at that higher level. And again, like they are like unexplainable people, by definition, they're unexplainable. um, it would be it would be that they exist at a higher level and they and that explanation cannot be predicted or discerned from what happens at the lower levels now how why that occurs is is a further question if 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 it's true at all if it's true at all it's a further question um no one wants to go back to sort of a vitalism where there has to be some you know, no. spirit in there. Elon uh, Vitale, but but yeah. are there deeper principles of reality that uh, cause regularities or laws to exist at a higher level that are um, th- that are products of the lower level, but are not directly predictable from it? Uh, that, that that's the only careful way I can describe it. Once again, I want to emphasize that many people believe that this does, you know, strong emergence to, is 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 a fallacy in in uh, in general. Um, yeah, I remember I had Noam Chomsky on once, and uh, uh, he pushed back on an emergence and said, you know, it's not over yet. Uh, we got a unified theory between chemistry and physics. There's no reason we can't with biology. So uh, so yeah. He seemed to be in that camp. Yeah, and and I'd say most most people most uh, scientists would be uh, in that camp. But uh, to me, it's still it's, a, it's certainly an open question when we deal with consciousness, and there may be other areas that that applies to as well. This brings it it brings in a whole other series of interesting questions um, uh, related to what's called top down causation. That um, and 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 this is another. Uh, way of thinking that's a, a little tricky to get your your head around it, oh, basically, <laughs> it basically says that it, it, again it doesn't introduce any any non-physical stuff but it says once you have the small parts creating a, a, a higher level that that higher level then can have a an independent way of affecting the lower level so it 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 becomes like uh, use a bad example a Frankenstein monster you create it and suddenly has powers of its own and and once again this is used in philosophy of mind uh, in terms of top down uh, top down uh, causation um, it's 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 one of the theories of mind that is uh, called the uh, uh, non reduction physicalism uh, which basically says everything is all physical but there's something that happens at at a higher level that creates top-down causation that is 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 sort of unpredictable from the lower level so it 
it it's a physicalism but it, it it has a strong emergence that has top-down causation once again that's a that's a, a controversial area well let's go into philosophy of mind then um you've written about this as well as done a, a lot of interviews you know i mean I, I love this question um is brain and mind the same thing um but you wrote about virtual immortality which is, you know, I've lived in Silicon Valley, and um, <laughs> I, I've hung out at a lot of events with folks who who believe in this, and and you know, we're looking forward to it. Um, but you say consciousness has been the elephant in the room for techno futurists. So why do you think that? Yeah, um, I love this question because it's very probative of uh, the nature of consciousness, uh, as well as the perhaps practical question of virtual uh, immortality. Um, so I call your friends in in in, in the valley uh, uh, techno optimists uh, okay. because because they 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 think that and so and I uh, would call them positivists. Okay, right? right. Yeah, I mean uh, they're it, in that direction. Yeah, sure. Uh, and and it, it it's obviously very materialistically oriented, which is a a common assumption among many scientifically trained uh, with with quite quite good justification. Um, but the question of virtual immortality, uh, I put as a, a second order uh, problem after AI consciousness. So I would ask the first question, which is being asked today, obviously, with uh, with all the new uh, large language modules coming out literally daily. Uh, can AI, uh, you know, when will AI be consciousness or how do we how do we know, etc.? So I put that in a hierarchy that AI consciousness is the first level, virtual immortality is the second level. So let's look at virtual immortality separately. One thing for sure, for sure, that even if it were theoretically possible, which it could be, uh, to have uh, AI consciousness and then virtual immortality, the technology involved in actually doing that is uh, astoundingly more complex than anybody that I have seen uh talking about it uh, appreciates astoundingly so because so you're talking just number of synapses in the brain and, uh, and the, quantity and the, of and when you deal with it and it's more than just synap- it's it's the you know the neurochemicals it's the it's the uh, uh, the uh, electromagnetic um, um, waves it's now new research has shown that there are some glial cells in the brain that have chemical communications that are quasi neurons it is so complex that it it's almost meaningless uh, to ask. So, if it were possible, which it is, uh, I would put the the um, the time frame not in terms of decades, which I think is 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 pretty much the the the, the conventional wisdom, but in in terms of millennia, not even centuries, to be able to have the technology oh, wow. to be able to do that. Um, so, so that's that's question one. The more fundamental question is, what is the nature of consciousness? Because the 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 question of of of, of virtual immortality asks um, that, in addition to having artificial consciousness, creating create artificial perhaps the wrong word, creating consciousness in non biological me- media. Um, that's question one, but then how that, do you, that, by the way, that's a question that separates a lot of your guests. Yeah, it right? does. a lot Absolutely. of them say, no, you need that biology, you know, exactly. the John Searle exactly. direction. I'd some of most, them, some yeah. of them go with the idea that it's just computation. 
exactly and i'd say it's it it started out with a higher percentage on on you know it's obviously theoretically possible now there's a little bit more uh uncertainty and 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 people um um are not you, you can't predict in advance somebody who who's an idealist may think that it's impossible and somebody who's a um a uh you know a theist can think it is possible because they, once you get into the complexity of of how it occurs, uh, there are even some dualists who believe in that you need a non physical element to make consciousness believe that AI could be conscious. In other words, in their mind, just to give you an extreme case, yeah, um, I remember that one. It, it's it's possible that the structure of the universe is such that when you have a complex system put together, uh, such as the brain, etc., that that automatically triggers some meta psychophysical law that uh that creates its own spirit <laughs> i mean that that is conceivably possible i mean that's yeah, not a contradiction a, right it's interesting because you have a dualist um uh, arguing for materialism in a way there and reductionism <laughs> yeah i mean that 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 is absolutely true but it is it is the case what i'm frankly focused on now um writing a, a much more expanded version of the paper that I, I did in 2016 uh in which i'm looking at all the theories of consciousness that are prevalent today uh and then um arraying those and just quickly you know, materialistic theories which is the biggest categories because you have neurobiology electromagnetic homeostatic, computational, language, relation, relational models, representational models, phylogenetic, et cetera. Then non-reductive physicalism, quantum theory. Well, hold on a minute. You missed epiphenomenalism. I've got uh, your paper here. Epiphenomenalism is, is uh, embedded within materialistic theories okay. as, as what I call, I have a category called philosophical and under, under the, so Materialism is the big category. Okay. Second order is philosophical. Third order are things like eliminative materialism uh, or epiphenomenalism, uh, neuro, neuro, uh, things like that. In other words, philosophical approaches to the to the materialistic thing that's embedded all within materialism. Okay, so, but so epiphenomenalism does agree that a mental state is different from a physical state, right. but um, but it can't cause top down. Right, it does. It does nothing. Uh, it, it, the the analogy: it's the foam on the waves. Uh, it's great. there. It's pretty. It looks good. <laughs> it looks like it's doing stuff, but it ain't doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I have a hard time with that because I, I. It seems like we we have ca- top down causation, where you know I think a thought and then my, I raise my arm. Um, right, and seem to have. You know. And there are some really good, smart people who will, who would disagree with you on that one. <laughs> uh, oh, that that and, that's and not I, top I, down. I I sort of agree with you, uh, but I love to hear their arguments. Uh, Dan Dennett is uh, one of my favorite. Uh, he has very sophisticated and fascinating arguments uh, to to explain, uh, you know, why that uh, is illusory. Not that consciousness is an illusion. He. He's been caricatured as saying that, as others have been. It's not quite what he's saying, but it is illusory in a sense that uh, it's uh, he, he's not. Uh, it, it's a deflationary approach to uh, to consciousness. Deflationary just, versus eliminativist. You wouldn't call it a yeah, 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 right. I, I think that even the eliminativists have been caricaturized. The the Churchlands, etc. Keith Frankish. Mm. 
in terms of what they're saying. Uh, but obviously they, they're making it a point that, and so I would call them deflationists, that consciousness is a lot less than we think it is, but it's not that it's not, it's a self-contradiction to say it's a complete illusion because if you have an illusion, you're conscious of an illusion. I mean, so we can go around that circle. Um, but the other categories very briefly after non-reduction physical quantum theories, which are all over the lot and proliferating, which is fascinating. Integrated information theory, which is one specific idea, which has been controversial of late. Uh, panpsychisms, there's something in the uh, something in reality, in every part of reality that has a proto consciousness. Many different structures of that monism. In- information theory could maybe come under um, panpsychism. Um, I, I, you know, they they're slightly resistant to that. I put it as separate because it it, it is so probative. Uh, but there's certainly um, a, a justification to make that case. I keep it separate. Okay. Uh, but but it, it it certainly has a panpsychic uh, uh, character to it. Um, uh, and then dualisms, of course, that you need something non-physical or beyond the physical world. Idealism, where everything is consciousness. Uh, so you have all these different kinds of theories, and then many people who say that the question is even impossible for the human brain or human to even discern. Uh, and then there are people who use uh, altered states or um, a paranormal uh, ex- near-death experiences, out-of-the-body experiences uh, to uh, to intuit the nature of consciousness. And then what I like to do is then ask along the spectrum of all these different um, ways of understanding consciousness, how then would we address some very fundamental questions like AI consciousness, virtual immortality, uh, life after death, you know, how, how I'm not giving you my opinion of which is real, but I I am giving you my opinion of, of what are the implications, if any, of which of these theories, something has to be real, has to be some explanation of consciousness. So whatever the real one is, and we give all this giant uh, list, um, what would be the implications for each of these ideas? And it's slightly different in every case. Um, and in most of them, the AI consciousness is uh, uh, feasible. In some of them, it's it, it, it's even certain. Uh, in, in, in various quantum theories, uh, you, you you would seem that 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 is clearly the case. In some materialistic theories, it it it, it would it would be the case. Uh, uh, some in dualism maybe maybe more likely than not. But then once you get to AI consciousness, to go to virtual immortality adds a a, a, a a significant number of additional problems. Number one is the problem of, of duplicates. If you can simulate your everything in your brain uh, in, in a non-physical, in, in, in a non-biological media, once, you can do it twice. And if you can do it twice, you can do it an infinite number of times or as many as you like. And so what does that imply about your first-person consciousness? So there you are, Theral, I know I'm me, and now you've been duplicated five times. Um, and so what I ask is, what are the alternatives? The alternatives is that your first-person consciousness, as you see yourself right now, disappears, and now there are five new ones. Another one is that you've now been fractionalized. So your first person consciousness is now in five separate places. Um, a, 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 another is that uh, 
you uh, you're, you've combined them. So now you have you you have basically a split personality within the same person of five. I mean, there are, there are severe problems in even assuming AI consciousness is correct to go to a virtual immortality where the virtual immortality is your personal first person consciousness. Now, some say it doesn't matter because the other duplicates will think they're you, will say they're you. They could fool your therapist and your wife that it really is you, but it ain't you. I mean, it, it isn't that inner sense that you have, which will have disappeared. The test question for a uh, a virtual immortalitist who is ready to ready to jump is, uh, you know, once once you've done the duplicate, are you willing to destroy the original? Um, hmm. I, <laughs> I don't think I, I'm watching a series right now on Prime. <laughs> the writer wrote on um, um, South Park uh, some episodes, so it's it's, it's comedy. Um, but he he decides to upload his brain because he's he's in the hospital and it looks like the end of his life. So it's kind of built on that, and he has a choice: go left and try to survive, or go down to this room, upload yeah. your brain, and just yeah. take care of business. Yeah. Um, but then the identity question is solved because he chooses. Um, he has to choose which heaven he's going to go to or you know which next life and he he ends up choosing lakeview <laughs> so i guess another identity could choose a different thing and not run into each other <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you, you get into a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of contradictions and, and a lot of philosophical issues and it, it's uh look it is it is the human quest to explore all of this and and I I take it seriously, and I mean it's a fun conversation that we can have. But I also take it very seriously. You take it seriously, and I, and, I do, and I do because it it really reflects the most fundamental aspects of not only uh, what human beings are and what we are personally, uh, but the the whole st- structure of of reality. Some would say it doesn't reflect the whole structure of reality because human beings are are purely uh, accident, an accident of evolution and, and you know run run the movie backward uh, run the movie again you get a completely different result and that may be true but still i i feel that there is uh, potentially potentially uh, something fundamental that we can learn about the structure of the entirety of reality by understanding the nature of of uh, of, of sentience consciousness and indeed of life which is one of the the underlying reasons why it's closer to truth um we now have elevated life to these these major categories i should mention that uh, closer to truth um uh the um co-creator director producer is peter getzels who he and i have worked together since 2006 uh uh, to produce the shows and uh, it's been a great partnership well what i love about the show is is you give um you know you you talk with different experts and go and you're like you said earlier, you're willing to go into the different directions and yeah. it's like, okay, let's take this unit of time and really go there. And, and so I think you've allowed me to go into spaces where I, I maybe wasn't, uh, I was riding off, um, and, and, and hang out there and say, well, let's go with it. Um, yeah, I, and I think I, that's I, absolutely right. That's, that's what we really try to do. It's so uh, important my- today. Cause you know, I think, you know, religion is less and less has become less and less, um, a means of exploring this question, these questions for a lot of people as history goes on. Um, the other option is science. You know, these two get paired a lot and science can become too scientific yeah. uh, is the, is the term. 
And so I think philosophy just... <laughs> yeah, scientific. Yeah, yeah and, and and so philosophy provides this place to go that's uh, that's still logical and rational. Yeah, yeah, a- a- exactly. And that's what we we try to do. We're we're, we're uh, criticized because we don't deal very much with uh, experiential. In other words, we don't have gurus or mystics, um, and and it, and it's a fair criticism. But I'm uncomfortable because I can't have any way of discerning the wheat from the chaff <laughs> um uh-huh. uh, whereas in in <clears throat> even dealing with radical theories as as i've listed uh, you can really sense the kinds of 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 individuals who have sophisticated understanding and rational you may not agree with them but you can really you can really have third person communication uh that's one criti- another criticism and, and maybe this is one of my favorite is if you go on YouTube, you know, hundred thousands of, of criticism. On one of our videos, one but one person criticized me. We have a lot of praise too, but I'm only giving you the criticism. The criticism was that you know, Kuhn is great, all that, but he's but he's a, a closet atheist trying to unconvert the believers. And then about <laughs> and, then, and then about twenty uh, twenty uh, uh, comments later on the same video. Somebody said, "Yeah, you know, I like you, and it's interesting, and all of that." Uh, but but he's a, a closet theist trying to convert <laughs> all the atheists. Well, this is what I thought in the beginning. <laughs> just very first, you know, you come across a new channel. It's like, okay, these are special topics here. Where's he going? And I was yeah, looking. Yeah. You know, right. you're getting funding from Templeton, and and um, but then I found that I was just clicking the next one. I did want to contemplate God and questions of God, which I haven't really allowed myself to do since I was young. Um, so, you know, and and then um, I gave up guessing who you are and what you <laughs> what you think. I think you're more like a Socrates who um, who relishes more the question than the answer. Uh, you know, people ask me after 26 years or something, you know, are, are you closer to the truth? And by the way, we all, people often say closer to the truth, and that's not the name of the show. It's closer to truth. There's no the. It's present progressive. Uh, and, and that's really a very important point. Uh, we would not do this if it was closer to the truth, because I couldn't do that. I can only do closer to truth as a present progressive. And, and you're absolutely right. My answer to the question um, is that I now know and have a deep, rich, uh, very satisfying understanding of the questions more than I've had. I mean, it's a very rich and, under, uh, and deep understanding of the nature of the questions, how they articulate together. And in an odd way, that to me is very satisfying to really understand the nature of the questions. And if I would give you what I think my current answer is, um, I don't do that because I don't even believe, I don't put any credence in what I believe may be the case. Um, but but are you building up a theory of your own on these uh, topics? I, I, is that I, what I, drives I, you? Or? I, and, uh, what drives me is to deeply understand the nature of the question. So what I'm doing now with consciousness, I'm doing a very uh, large, it's, it'll probably turn into a, a, a book um, paper for, for a major biological um, um, journal uh, on all of these categories of, of consciousness. And it's really giving me a deep understanding. I may give you right now what I think is is more likely than not but more important is to really understand the, the diversity. Um, a, a point is made that you know, at, the more we learn about about the brain, the more the the theories of consciousness 
have been have been expanding, not narrowing. You'd think the more you learn about something, your theories would narrow. <laughs> we have theories that are expanding. We're still on the expansion side of so it. So I think in my 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 paper, I currently have like 150 different, you know, sort of subcategories that are wow. people are, are devising uh and organized in some sort of a hierarchy. And yeah, we didn't talk about quality of force and quality of space. Um, yeah. um so yeah. yeah there, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there are so many different uh, ways of thinking about it. Um, and that is, that to me has been very enriching. And, and it's the case in, in, in all aspects of what we do in closer to truth and in, in quantum theory to see all the different kinds of interpretations. I may not agree with the, the multi-world interpretation, but to understand why some people do is to me a very enriching experience and, and a very, uh, a, a, a very probative of the nature of, of of reality um and so um to really appreciate the nature of the questions and to see the possible solutions arrayed on landscapes whether it's in consciousness or in foundations of physics or the origin of life or dealing with the fermi paradox um that's one thing we haven't i haven't stressed and i do want to um Farrell, is that when we are exploring philosophy of biology, uh, we have about 25 categories. And some of the categories are applications of the philosoph- of, of, of the philosophical way of thinking to, um, to traditional kinds of questions like in race and gender or health, even healthcare. Um, so you can take a philosophical approach and analysis to, to, to broader kinds of questions. Uh, you have to push a little bit to do that to where you're 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 adding um, original substance. But I th- I think that's that's uh, very doable. I mean the the question of race, which is obviously super sensitive in today's world, we have very I think with one of our first five episodes, we we, we took it on. Question on uh, Spencer at uh, UPenn uh, has uh, has kind of gave a a perspective that that you can have race being uh, biological and real, or biological and not real, or real and not biological. Um, and and so you have you have an array of things. Now the biology seems to say that race is not real. Uh, because uh, there's no subspecies of human beings the way that, by genetic analysis the way there are of chimps. So chimps, we say they're all the same, but biologically you can show that there really are subspecies of chimps, and so there are different races of chimps, but that same analysis does not work. But real has a bigger connotation than that. And so a philosophical analysis of that kind of sensitive question can also be to other kinds of questions where you can really understand the nature of the question. And and um, that, to me, in many of these subjects is, is, is potentially more important than coming up with a definitive answer. I can't wait to see the one on race. Uh, we've talked about it a lot here on the program, race and gender. Um, so let's finish up here. This this has just been a, so much fun. Is philosophy strong today? I know biology is. This is called the century of biology. Um, but a lot of the philosophers you're talking to are old. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say in general, uh, the, the humanities are are suffering. Um, you know, STEM is the is the peak of the uh, of the sword, and uh, everybody's talking about that and. Um, in in many universities, uh, the humanities are suffering. Philosophy, along with it, although philosophy in certain areas have had a 
a uh, a resilience and even a a, a quasi resurrection uh, in certain categories. Uh, so there's a lot of excitement in philosophy, uh, but I I don't think in, from the uh, the uh, a general public policy point of view, it's given as much uh, importance as I think it should have. So uh, we're rooting for philosophy to be stronger, and I think philosophy of biology is a good um, a good area to to see the benefits of philosophy uh, to what philosophy can bring uh to biology so if this is the century of biology which which we all agree upon uh uh, philosophy has a a significant contribution to make robert lawrence coon host of closer to truth not to the truth (laughs) thank you (laughs) a pleasure theral